Thank you for listening to the teaching podcast of Muncie First Church. If you would like to know more about us, go to MuncieFirstChurch.com. Or if you would like to support a ministry, go to the giving page, MuncieFirstChurch.com slash give. Well, let's jump into the teaching from this last week. Well, this morning we're going to start a new series. Before we do, I do want to say... I don't know if you noticed, but Nathan's not here this morning. This is, this is not Nathan 2, 2.0, you know. It is? It is? That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. It is Nathan 2.0. No. But aren't we not so blessed, church, to have talent and people who are willing to serve? <laughs> Thank you, Seth. Did an amazing job this morning. Um, but this new series is, is entitled Weapons of Mass Destruction. And uh, it's kind of, to give you a little backstory, this kind of came out of my own time just reading in the Word um, several, I think it's about a couple of months ago now, I was just in the Word. And, and, and one thing that I've always struggled with as a Christian is, is really, and I know I'm going to confess, and you're gonna, <gasps> but it is a struggle for me to make that time in the morning to say, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to read the Bible and I'm going to, I'm going to actually, you know, I've always felt guilty because I don't have like an hour of time reading the Bible and an hour of praying. And I spend those hours sleeping. I'm sorry. You know, and I get up and I found that for me, having my phone and the Bible app on my phone and being able to just listen to it every morning really has made a huge difference in my life. And, and I've really been very successful with that. And, and through that, God kind of spoke to me um, out of the book of James several weeks ago now. And, and I just felt like, man, this could be an awesome sermon series. And then I read a little bit more and God said, well, that could be a sermon too. And so this is what you're going to get. A couple of things this week and next week kind of from my own time with God. And, and, and maybe in the end I'll be like, well, that was just for me and I'm sorry. I apologize. But I think it might be for all of us this morning. I think God has something for all of us. And so let me kind of define for you what a weapon of mass destruction is. I think we are familiar with this term uh, from a few years back, but... It is this. It is any weapon capable of causing a high order of destruction or something that can cause mass casualties. And, and we've heard this terminology, but um, maybe never talked about in the church and might be a little odd place to talk about it. But I want to propose to you this morning that I think that there are things that exist within the church, that exist within the life of, of Christians and people who are trying to follow Jesus, that are weapons of mass destruction. And unfortunately... So often our target or our victims of these weapons of mass destruction end up being the very people that we're trying to reach or that we're supposed to love or that God has called us to minister to. That we heap weapons of mass destruction on their life. And let me, let me give you a couple of examples um, to kind of clarify what I'm talking about. Growing up, uh, my mom remarried and, and she remarried a guy named Mike and Mike had a half-brother named Kevin. And Kevin just so happened to be the boyfriend of one of my best friends growing up. That was, that was his mom's boyfriend. And they, they dated for like 30 years, it felt like. I don't know. They were together forever and never got married, lived together. So we've always just kind of considered them married, even though they weren't. Um, but Kevin was a guy who grew up in a very kind of violent environment. He knew what it was to be sexually abused, physically abused, verbally abused. 
He knew in his late teenage years and early uh, 20s, knew what it was to be homeless and live and sleep in a ditch. I mean, he grew up rough, and he had a really rough upbringing and just a rough life. And, and when I knew him uh, in the early days, he was you know, an alcoholic, but he was in, in the process of building a construction company that would become so wealthy, he couldn't handle it. He couldn't handle the wealth and the, and the success. And um, many, many, many of the houses in the suburbs of Indianapolis, Fishers, Carmel, his company built those homes. So many of them. Um, probably more than we could ever count. And eventually that just success started to weigh on him and, and affect him. And there was a local pastor who took a shine to Kevin in Hartford City by the name uh, uh, of Gary. And Pastor Gary loved Kevin and Angie. And he went to them and started ministering to them and eventually led Kevin to Christ at his kitchen table, sitting in their home. And the crazy thing about that is, is Kevin was the guy who said, I have no need for God. The Bible is just a book that a bunch of people got together in a room and wrote. And it's all just made up. We don't need it. You don't need it. Why, why, why bother? And yet he gave his life to Jesus. And it was amazing. And it's the type of, he's the type of person that you would never expect to darken the doors of a church. And Gary invited him to come and, and be at their church. And, and Kevin said, I would love to come, but I don't think I can. Gary's like, well, why? And he said, well, if you knew Kevin, what you knew about Kevin is that he never went anywhere without a hat on. I mean, the dude slept in his hat. If, if he didn't have a hat on, it's because he took a shower or was in the early days drunk and it fell off. I mean, as, he had a hat on 99.9% of the time. And he's like, I just I don't feel like you know, people would welcome me if I wore a hat in church. And, and Gary, being the awesome guy that he was, he said, Kevin, if you come to church on Sunday and you wear your hat, I will preach in a hat. I will get my hat out and I will preach in a hat. And so, true to his word, Kevin showed up wearing his hat and Gary went to his office and got his hat and preached in a hat. And I'm telling you, friends, people lost their minds because of a hat. Because of a hat. He had so many people coming to him and, and complaining at him because he preached in a hat. And, and what's that guy doing in the sanctuary with a hat on and, and blah, blah, blah. And, and when Gary told me this story many, many years later, I, I, my heart broke. Because I can't say for sure if that's the reason that Kevin eventually never went back to church. But I'm sure that it did have some effect. Because people hear those murmurs and they hear those groanings as, as, as they come in and they don't feel welcome. And, and he didn't feel welcome in that church. Because of a hat. Really? Really? And it's always just, oh, that has got me. It just, it like literally, I mean, it just, it breaks my heart and kind of makes me a little mad. Now, another, another example, a little closer to home. A few years back, we were uh, leading a, a kind of contemporary service in a, in a very traditional church. And the traditional service would happen at 9 o'clock in the morning and then, they would end about 10, 10, 15, and then we would get ready for the next service, which was a very contemporary, laid-back, kind of young adult-style service. And the band would come in to get ready for practice. And the band was coming in a particular Sunday, and it happened to be that the drummer showed up. The drummer was my brother-in-law, and, and he was in high school at the time, and he was wearing a pair of shorts. And there happened to be a visiting pastor in the first service that morning who took it upon himself to go up to Trevor and say to him, Right on stage, as we're getting ready to practice, how dare you disgrace the house of God by wearing a pair of shorts and being on this sacred stage or something to that effect. And Trevor, being 
in high school and a little bit quiet, didn't say much. He just came to me afterwards and said, did you hear what he said? Friends, thank you, Jesus, that I did not hear what he said. I would have taken it upon myself, just confession time here, to destroy him. A hat, shorts, really? We're going we're gonna to get bent out of shape about that in the church? And thank God that he didn't just leave and never come back to the church. I mean, thank God that Trevor didn't do that. It happened for Kevin, not, not so much for, for, for Trevor. And, and I bring this up this morning because I think this sort of stuff happens in the church all the time. All the time. Maybe you're sitting here now and you say, yeah, I know, because I've been victim of it. I went to this church and that, and they did this. And, and we could all probably share some story of either how it's happened to us or how we, we know someone that that happened to. But here's, here's the thing that gets me is I bet we could all also share a story where we have been the ones that were judgmental. Didn't expect to get too many amens on that. But am I right? We are all prone at times to being judgmental. We're prone to wanting to rate and rank and, and say that this person is valuable and this person isn't all based on silly things like how they dress you know, it, we go back all the way to middle school. It's like, well, they got the cool shoes and the cool clothes and they, or, you know, high school. Oh, he's got the cool car. And we do this even as adults. We rate and rank and we say, well, this person's important or this person's worth my time and they're not. And I like them because they don't smell or they smell. And I mean, we do this. It is a reality that exists. And sadly, it happens more often than I care to admit and more often than we should ever admit that it happens in the church. It's very sad. We oftentimes can be prejudiced and judgmental and even hateful sometimes. Christians can be hateful. Now, if you're here this morning and you're like, I'm not really a Christian, you might be wanting to just shout right now and say, yeah, I know, I met a few on the way in in the parking lot. I cut guy off and he... You know, he flew the bird and he says he's a Christian. He's here every week, you know. Might have been one of the staff. I don't know. Might have been Miss Debbie. No, <laughs> kidding. <laughs> kidding. I, she's not in here, so I can. But it's this kind of weapon of mass destruction, the, the judgment and, and the prejudice and, and, the, and the, you know, rating and ranking that exists in the church that I think might just very well be destroying the church from the inside out. And I think that it is making it difficult for us sometimes to reach our community and reach people who come in here because we have this tendency. Now, I'm not pointing any fingers necessarily, but I do know that this has happened here before. I've seen it. I've seen it uh, with my own eyes and witnessed it with somebody who was here. And, and thankfully, the person that was being hateful to them actually was just a guest. They were here for a revival service. It wasn't even somebody that normally goes here. But I'm also going to be the first to admit that I've been judgmental. I've been judgmental towards people who come in these doors. And so I think that what we're going to find this morning is, is that this can't be. That if we truly want to be effective as a church in reaching our community, we cannot be like that. We cannot be like that. And so I want to look this morning at James Chapter 2, if you want to turn there with me, you can, or, or go there on your, on your phone. 
I want to look at what James has to say. And James, for those of you maybe that don't know, James is the younger brother of, of Jesus. He's the half-brother of Jesus. And what I've always found interesting about James is that he did not believe Jesus was who he said he was until after the resurrection. And I know I've mentioned that before, but I just find that very fascinating. Because what would it take for you to convince your brother or sister that you're the son of God? A lot, right? I mean, maybe not even possible. You know, and, and yet this is the situation he lives in. And yet he becomes one of, the, one of the earliest followers and leaders in the church. And this is what he has to write about being judgmental or showing favoritism. He says this, My brothers and sisters, this is starting with verse 1, My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Now I want to stop there for just a second and point out, he is talking to and communicating with other believers. He's talking about believers. So this morning, if you're here and you say, well, I'm not a Christian. I'm not really sure about this church thing. I don't know about that. This is not so much a message for you, not to say that you couldn't take this advice and apply it to your life and, and it be a benefit. But this is mostly for those of us in the room that say, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ. I'm trying to live that life. This is for us. And James says, if you say that you're a follower of Jesus, you cannot, must not show favoritism. You must not. And then he says, he kind of gives an example. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes. And a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you. But say to the poor man, you stand there or sit uh, on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? I want to stop on that for just a second and say... I think it's interesting as you think about what we're getting ready to read, the idea that Jesus is our judge. But so often as Christians, we like to put ourselves in that place, don't we? We like to say, okay, hold on, Jesus. I'm not sure you've got this figured out. I'm not sure you really know how to do this judgment thing. Let me do it. And the difference is, is that Jesus is a judge who judges from grace and mercy. James says, we judge from a seat of evil thoughts. Stings a little bit, doesn't it? That's not exactly like the chipper, happy thing you were hoping to hear this morning, I know. But it's true. When we judge each other, I've never judged anyone from a place of, I'm hoping that I can really help them and make them feel good about themselves. Amen? I mean, we do it, and it's, it's to our own gain. It's, it's, a, it's, it's purely from a place of evil. Even if we think our intentions are best, they're not. They're not. Then he goes on. He says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting, exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him? To whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the, by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, You shall not commit adultery, also said, You shall not murder. So if you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. 
Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because, the judgment, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Does that sound familiar? I want to jump back to a verse here. Jim, if you can take me back to where it says, uh, if you keep the royal law, verse 8. If you keep the royal law, I think this is an interesting way to say this. he's talking about that whole idea, and we've discussed this many times in here, that that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. Love God, love our neighbor as ourselves. And when he says, if you keep the royal law, in essence, he's saying, hey, if you do nothing else, at least do this. Like this is the supreme thing that you and I as followers of Jesus are to keep. Love God, love our neighbor. But he says, if you show favoritism, then you're, you're not keeping that. Even if it's just for one person, it's like, it's like if you, and then he uses the example of you say, well, I, I didn't commit adultery, but you committed murder. No, you're still breaking the whole law. If you can't keep any of it, then you're, you're breaking, or one part of it, then you're breaking all of it. It's the same with, with this. And if we believe that the royal law for us as Christians is love God, love your neighbors ourselves, but we say, okay, well, I do that at church, but that guy in my office, oh my gosh, I wish he'd find a different job. <laughs> you know? That guy that just gave me my meal at that restaurant, I didn't love him very well. In fact, I even showed him by not giving him a tip how much I didn't love him. You know, maybe we do this sometimes. Maybe. Eh. Once in a while. And James says, hey, if if you're going to keep all of it, you can't just sometimes do it or with a few people do it. Now, this may look different for us. I don't think that we really have people coming in here wearing like gold rings and things like that. And we're like, oh, man, we got to get you the good seat. Let's get you up here by pastor, you know, and make sure you get the good seat. That doesn't really happen around here. Um, and, 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 you know, I hope that maybe this room will be packed one day so much that we do have to say, well, sorry, you got to sit on the floor, you know, because we don't have any place to sit. That would be pretty awesome. But not because, well, I don't really like you and you're not really cool. And so we're going to make you sit on the floor. That's, that's not happening in this building. But, but do we not sometimes maybe be like, well, okay, their, their status in society, their wealth, how important is this person? Do we maybe give people who we think are more important more time than other people? When we see them call and, the, and their name pops up on the phone, we're excited because they're actually taking time to call us. And then other people were like, how do I ignore this thing again? And then you accidentally answer it. You ever done that? Oh, man. And then you got to, it's real awkward. You're like, um, sorry, I didn't mean to answer that call. <laughs> no. Hopefully you don't actually say that. Come on. But, but, I mean, we do this. This exists. This happens even in the church. We play favorites. And James says, hey, we can defeat this kind of thinking. We can defeat this kind of, of attitude in our heart if we would let mercy triumph over our judgment. We've got to let mercy triumph over our judgment. The bottom line in this whole sermon today, if you get nothing else, at least get this, is that mercy is our weapon against judgment. Mercy is our weapon against judgment. And I think this is kind of twofold. One is that if we believe as Christians, which, which we do, that one day we're going to stand before Jesus and be judged. And as, as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, 7, he says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. 
So if we believe that to be true, then one day we're going to stand before Jesus and he's going to show us to the measure of, he's going to show us mercy to the same measure that we have shown mercy. And if we've shown mercy in our lives, that's going to triumph over the judgment that, we're going to, that we, we will experience. But I think it also plays out like this too. I believe that's really what James is saying. And I'm kind of just maybe adding a little supplement here to the side that I think is also correct and relevant. Is that mercy, when we are merciful in our lives, it triumphs over our judgmental attitude. It's really hard to show mercy to someone and be judgmental at the same time. Right? Wouldn't you agree? It, it, they just they don't exist in the same place. It's really difficult to be merciful and then judge someone in the same breath. And James is saying, hey, when you are merciful, when you show mercy in your marriage, with your kids, with your coworker, with your boss, with your employees, with the, with the kid who messed your order up at McDonald's, mercy is then in turn shown to you. And it triumphs over your judgmental, prejudiced attitude. So let me ask you some questions that might be a little uncomfortable. Do we show love towards everyone? Or only those that fit in our group? All right, we're going to take turns. Come on up. No, I'm just kidding. Think about that for a second. Do we just show love to people that kind of fit in our group and we're like, well, I like you and, and you fit in my group and we connect. And, but, but then the people that don't, we're like, eh, somebody else will love them, right? Somebody else, I mean, that's, that's why we got so many here. We're hoping that we can spread it around, you know. Ron will love some people and Allison will love some people and Preston will get some people and I'll get some people and we'll just we'll get our bases covered. But I only have to love a, a few, you know. How terrible would that be if that was Jesus' approach? I came to die for just a few. We'll let somebody else get the rest of them. What about this? Do we try to connect with everyone or only those that we like? Now, I get it. You're not going to connect with everyone. That's, that's just a fact. I think that sometimes we're going to like certain people and really connect with certain people and then not so many, some, some, in some cases, with others. And that's okay. I think that's just life. But do we at least try to connect with everyone that we can? Or do we say, well, I don't, you know, they, they, they're kind of a close talker, and I just, I just can't do it. I just can't be, you know, or, or, you know, they're just not really, they don't really fit into my group. They're just not like me, and I don't, I don't really like them, and so I'm not going to try to connect with them. What about this? Do we serve everyone that we can, or only those that we see fit? And what I mean by that is, is do we serve everyone that we can, or only those that we think are going to be grateful for our time and our effort. So that's a challenge right there. Because if you know anything about serving people, is sometimes they're not very grateful. Sometimes they squander our generosity and our time. Sometimes they have expectations of us after we've done it once. They're thinking, you're going to be back on Tuesday, right? And then Thursday. And, and, then, and, and you know what? Sometimes we just say, well, okay. They don't really respect me, and they don't, they don't really fit the bill, so I'm not going to serve those people. But I'll serve these people because they are grateful, and they clap when I come, you know? How are we doing on this? And, and, and believe me, I ask these questions with my own heart just completely saying, I am a failure. 
Because I do this too. I want to jump back to a couple of verses here with James. Verse 3 through 4, he says, If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, Here's a good, good seat for you, but say to the poor man, You stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now, I realize that discrimination and prejudice are just, they are is crazy right now in our culture. I feel like we are dealing with things from that, that, in that standpoint that I, I don't remember even thinking or hearing about when I was a kid. Um, it, was like, it was like racism kind of went away, and maybe that was just my ignorance growing up in Hartford City, but it could be. You know, it was, but it felt like it was like going away, and then all of a sudden it is completely back, in, and it is full on. Now, I'm not going to address that from a political standpoint or anything, but I, I do think that it's really sad that that's existing in our society, in our community. And sometimes, and I've seen this personally, it's perpetuated by people who call themselves Christians. Say that they sit in church on Sunday, but yet they're, they're prejudiced and they're, and they're discriminating against people. And you know what? I find this happening in weird places. A few years ago, I think it was right around the time we first moved here. We were in Meyer, and we had the kids with us. And um, this lady that we didn't know just comes up to us at random and goes, "Oh, you guys, you guys are just such a great-looking family." And I was like, "I know, thank you." You know, and and she's like, she's like, "You are the type of people that shop at Meyer." I swear to you, that's the only time this has ever been said to me in all of my life. I've never heard that before. I don't know anyone else who has a story like this, but they come she, and, and she says this and I'm just like, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay, thanks. And, and, and what she was saying is, is, you don't look like the type of people that shop at Walmart. You're Meyer people. And I know we make fun of Walmart, let me confess, I shop at Walmart. It's just cheaper sometimes. It's chaos, but it's cheaper. They can't figure out how to get a checkout lane open, but it's cheaper, you know? And, and yes, there are weird people in Walmart. But you know what? I shop at Meyer every week, and there are weird people in Meyer too. It's not like you're a Meyer. All right, we're going to separate the room. Meyer people over here, Walmart people over here. It, but do we not? think this way in our daily lives sometimes do we not treat people out in public sometimes like well you're a Meyer person we don't say that but like it's like well you're my kind of person and I think that's deep down what this lady was saying is like you're the type of people I like to shop around on a Saturday I don't want to be around those types <laughs> it's sad though isn't it isn't it sad that sometimes we think this way and so what do we do? What do we do if, if this really is our heart and we struggle with this idea of being judgmental or, or, or being prejudiced to people or even, being, even truly being racist towards somebody and, 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 and wanting to group up and rank and say, okay, well, you're important and you're not. How do we overcome this? Well, I think James says that mercy should be our response. In any and all situations, mercy must be the first place that we go. Because I think what follows is, is an attitude of love and a heart of love and a heart of grace. 
And it overwhelms that judgmental mindset and, and that mindset of, well, I'm better than them. Because it's really hard to, to show mercy all the while thinking, well, I'm better than you. I think that Jesus knew he was better than us, yet he still humbled himself to the point of going to a cross. He was in heaven with God, and he came as a baby became human, put on human flesh. And I think sometimes we just kind of say those words and just skip over it and it doesn't mean much to us. But if you were God, how much convincing would it take you to come down here and be in the muck with the rest of us? <laughs> be like, man, I don't know. I think it's a pretty sweet gig up here being God. I kind of like it. And yet he humbled himself. He lowered himself to the point of being a servant. So how do we do this? If mercy is to be our response, well, I think, I think mercy, when that becomes our response, that becomes our weapon of mass destruction against Satan. Because Satan hates when we show mercy to other people. It becomes a one-two punch in his face, and, and any scheme that he might have is foiled when we come in and say, you know what, I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to show you mercy and grace. And you know what? I know that you took advantage of me. I know that you hurt me. You did something wrong to me. And you know what? I'm just going to let it pass. I'm not going to get bitter. I'm not going to seek revenge. I'm not going to try to get even. I'm just going to let it pass. And Satan does not like that. He does not like that. And so what do we do? Well, Growing up, I grew up in a family that uh, very outdoorsy, um, likes to hunt, likes to fish. We, we camp, we've camped all of my life. And, and my dad uh, grew up in a very gun-centric family. I don't know what you believe about that, and, and that's okay if you don't like that. But that's the way they grew up. And my grandfather was a game warden and had guns in his house all of his life. And, and they, they hunted. And, 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 and then my uncle, he was, eventually became a, a, a reserve uh, sheriff's department and so carried guns and that's just kind of been my life and I remember when my dad took me at 13 years old and said hey you know we're, we're gonna hunt but before you do you probably ought to learn how to use a gun and we ought to figure that one out and so he sat me down and he brings me his eight, eight, seven, Remington 870 shotgun 20 gauge shotgun and says this is a gun it's like I know that dad and it can kill you I'm like okay let's not get too worked up it's you know it's not even loaded and he goes no you treat every gun as if it's loaded. I don't care if it's a Nerf gun. It's like you treat it like this could, this could harm somebody. And he began to give me this list of, of, of rules and, and things to remember. Like, you know, when, you're, when, you, when you have a gun, to, to treat it as if that it can truly take your life and to know that if you're going to use it, you point it away from you. You point it downrange, or, or when you aim it at something, you aim it at something you intend to kill and all that sort of stuff. And he began to just... Give me these things. And, and they were little things that didn't mean much at the time, but it just began to guide how I understood guns and, and, and respect of guns. And I think the same logic applies as we think about mercy. There are some things that we need to remember. When we use mercy in our life as a weapon against Satan's schemes, we have to keep a few things in mind. And I want to give you three of those things real quick. They're basic safety instructions, if you will for using mercy as a response to uh, judgment in other people or even in our own heart. And the first thing is this. We have to remember where we came from. 
have to remember where we came from. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 2. It's kind of a lengthy passage, but I really think it just sums up everything I want to say. And I don't, it just, I'll just read the text and, and make a quick comment and we can move on. Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus and he says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air and the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So basically Satan. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Now, if you like to underline in your Bible, I think this is a good place to underline because this is key. But get the second verse too. Don't miss this. We, all of us, every one of us in here, no matter how good we are, how much we've done for society or how little, we are all deserving of wrath. But then verse 4, he says, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming age He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork. Some translations say craftsmanship or, or masterpiece. And I really like those words because they just, oh man, it just captures. I think of like a, a beautiful painting. And that's how God thinks of us as this masterpiece. It says, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at, the t- at that time you were separated from Christ or separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I want to sum this up. We were deserving of wrath, removed, exiled, not included. Remember as a kid when your sibling wouldn't include you and it felt really bad? This is that times a million. Without hope, without God, completely lost. And God said, that's my masterpiece right there. Now, I know some days we don't feel like a masterpiece. Amen, right? Sometimes it creaks and moans, and it's like, man, this masterpiece needs some restoration. <laughs> we need like a good dusting and some work done. But you know what? God sees us, and he says, that's my masterpiece right there. And I want to not be far away from it anymore. And so because of the blood of Jesus, we have we've gone from being far away to being brought near. We are no longer considered foreigners, but citizens with Jesus. This is an amazing thing. But as it relates to mercy, we have to remember where we came from, which is a place where we have all deserved wrath. Because if we forget that, we get too high and mighty. 
We start thinking too highly of ourselves and, and we think, oh, look at me. Oh, man, I am just something special. And then we have to remember that we all deserved wrath. May we not forget that. Second thing, we have to remember that we all have the same spirit in us. The same spirit in us. Look what, it, what Paul says. He continues on, verse 19 through 22. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together becoming a dwelling in which God's spirit or God lives by his spirit. Don't miss this. Not only do we all come from a place where we deserve wrath, but we all have the same spirit that it, of God working in us. The same spirit that's in you is the same spirit that's in you. The same spirit that's in me is is what's in you. And even if you say, "Oh, I'm not a Christian. I don't I don't believe in any of this nonsense." Same spirit still working on your heart. Same spirit that's guiding you, that's brought you here this morning for whatever reason. Same spirit. And we can't forget that. Because when we do, it, it just throws us off and it takes us to places that we shouldn't be thinking. And if we want mercy to become our weapon against Satan's schemes, we must remember where we come from and that the same spirit that's at work in the person that sits across from me at work in that cubicle and he does those annoying things that drives me nuts, it's the same spirit that's in me. And then lastly, we must remember, we have to remember that Jesus loves them just like he does us i think this is the like the clincher this is the one that like hits the ball out of the park i'm always reminded as i think of this of a story that my stepmom has told so much that it's like please stop telling me this story you know it's you ever have somebody that's just like they want to tell it's the same it's a great story and i'm going to tell you but it's like i've heard it like a thousand million times and it's like okay thank you i i could i'll tell it this next time I think I tell it better. It's not even my story. No. But one day, years ago, when my sister, uh, who's just one grade below me, she was in middle school, and my stepmom went there to pick her up from school one day, and she's sitting out, and it's, if you've picked anybody up from school, you know it's mass chaos, right? The lines are 50 cars deep, and you're like, why am I here at one o'clock? School doesn't end until three. You know, it's like that's, that's, that's life, picking somebody up at school. And she's waiting and waiting and waiting for my sister to come out, who is literally one of the slowest people on the planet. She just moves like this. And so a lot of time to watch and people watch. And she sees this girl come out who's a very popular girl and very athletic, and she comes out of the building. And, and my stepmom has this thought. Now, my sister's also athletic and played a lot of sports with this girl. And my stepmom thinks, you know, she's really not that pretty. She's really not that athletic. Not, not, she's not that much prettier than my daughter. And as if God spoke to her audibly, she heard God say, but I love her too. But I love her too. And may we never forget that as we sit 
in the office or we go to work in the factory or we go to the restaurant or we go to wherever we go and whatever we do. And that person is annoying us and we're like, oh my gosh, I wish this person would hurry up and get me my food or whatever it is. Remember that God loves them too, just like he loves us. No more, no less. I mean, it's not like we're special and it's like he's like, well, I love you guys a 10 and they're like a six. No, we're all tens. And if it was a scale to 100, we'd be all hundreds. A plus. God loves all of us just as much. And I think, James, if you were to boil down what he's truly trying to say in this passage, which I think is key for us to get this morning, is, is that James is saying we're not to show favoritism. But another way to think about it is this, is that we must show favoritism always to everyone. Think about it like that. What if you went into work tomorrow with the idea of, I'm going to show favoritism to every person that I work with, to every employee that works for me, to every waiter and waitress that I encounter on a Sunday afternoon when they're busy and about to lose their mind because church people are rude and they're at the restaurant. You know, what if I showed favoritism to everyone in every situation? How would that change your life? See, I think though it doesn't seem like Mercy may seem like, it seems like weakness, but it really is a very, very powerful weapon used to defeat Satan in our life. Because it's a weapon that brings about life and freedom and power over his schemes and his control of our judgment mental heart. It is, it, it is, it is a home run. It is, a, it is a weapon of mass destruction that doesn't destroy people that we're trying to love and trying to reach, but it destroys Satan's schemes in our life. And his fight against the church and against the message of Jesus. And so, may we be people of mercy. May we be people who our response is always a response of mercy. How many of you guys remember the movie Pinocchio? Anybody? It's like forever ago, right? I think I've seen it like maybe two or three times in my life. And I was working on this message and this, I, I, why Pinocchio? What a weird thing to remember, but it popped in my head. You know the scene, is she the fairy godmother or just a fairy? I don't remember. Anybody know? The lady, the Goal, like the shimmering light, she comes to save the day and she comes in and speaks to Jiminy Cricket and she says, let your conscience be your guide. Remember that? It's like the fam most famous probably line in that whole movie. And I, and I thought about that and I was like, you know what? We need to change that up and say, let mercy be our guide. In every situation, in every relationship, every time we encounter a moment where we feel that, that, that desire to be judgmental or that desire to play favorites or to, or to like kind of say, oh, well, you're more important than you are and say, you know what? I need to let mercy be my guide here. I need to let mercy take over. And so this morning as we close, we're not really going to do, uh, we're not going to sing anything in particular, but I do want to just take a moment and give you opportunity to maybe pray if you need to. Because I think that there might be some of us in the room that would say, you know what, I'm pretty judgmental. And I wrestle with this and I'm guilty of this. And maybe we need to pray about it. Maybe we need to just go home and, and chew on this for a bit and maybe realize that it's more of a problem than maybe we know. 
And so you may not respond now, but I just challenge you this morning that if, if maybe there's an area of your life, maybe it's a relationship with a, with a son or a daughter or your wife or husband or, or maybe a, a parent even, and you've just, you've just spent a lot of time not showing mercy in that relationship. May you reconsider how you can let mercy be your guide in that situation. Maybe it's somebody you work with. That's our challenge for this morning. So I'm just going to give you just a few moments. We'll stand together. Seth's going to play and just, just kind of, if you would, just bow your heads and just close your eyes and just let this kind of be a, just a quiet moment. Just go ahead and stand with me. Just allow this moment to just kind of linger for a second. And I know it's a little awkward when we do this and we're like, I don't know what to do. And that's okay. I, I kind of want it to be that way. I want you to think for a moment, maybe where is this an issue in my life? And if you need to come to the altar and pray or, or bring someone with you that you need to pray for or pray over or ask forgiveness from, do that as well. So let's just let this moment kind of linger. Jesus, would you just help us to be willing to maybe admit where we are prejudiced or where we are judgmental, God? Would you show us, would you shine a light in our life and in our heart and say, you know what, you got a lot of things going good, but this one area right here could use some work. Or maybe it's this one relationship, or maybe it's with a particular person that we just, man, every time, like, we're good with like 99% of the people in our life, but that one person we just are so hard on and we're so, we lack mercy in that relationship. There's no grace for them. God, help us. Help us to allow mercy to triumph over our judgment. May it be our guide in our workplace and in our families and in our marriage. God, as we raise our kids or we maybe parent adult kids, God, that may be a place where this is really relevant. It's parenting adult kids and having really high expectations and, and not leaving any margin for grace or mercy in a situation. God, help us. And God, may we truly be challenged by this as we go into our week. Help us to not just let Sunday be, well, that was a great sermon or a great time and I'm going to forget about it. God, may you continue to speak to us about this on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and throughout our week, God, bring this back up in our lives. Because this is truly a game changer. If we be a people of mercy and be like you, Jesus, we could defeat the weapons of mass destruction that, are, that really do harm the community of faith and it harms our ability to reach people as a church 
Help us, Lord. We love you, Jesus, and we pray that you would just go with us this week and may we be a blessing to other people. God, help us to love more and, and love better this week and, and do more for others and serve more people, God. Put people in our lives, Lord, that, that don't know you and that we can maybe be an example of Jesus to them this week. Help us to have courage to speak to people about you as we encounter them in our given week at our job or wherever we go, God. Give us the words and, and the wisdom in those moments. Help us to rise to that occasion. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys for being here today. I hope you have a great week this week and a great rest of your Sunday. God bless.